it just seemed like everything I was doing was, was, was really like, was connecting. It was, it was like, I had the Midas touch. And I just realized like, it's just because I'm more attuned with my purpose. It's like, I'm pursuing what I'm supposed to be doing. So the universe wants me to win. Here, episode fourteen, Malik. We're back. Yeah. Episode fourteen. We're back. Who right. do we have today with us, Doc? Who do we have? Right up, man. We're keeping the we're keeping the ball rolling with another great guest. Uh, we have Jermaine Murray with us today. Say what's up. Hey guys, how you doing? Thank you for having me. Hey, no problem. No, Jermaine. Yeah, straight up. It's it's funny because Jermaine, we've we've never actually met. We kind of just like found out about each other. I want to say through Black Tech Twitter, maybe yeah. at some yeah. point. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> legendary hashtag. Yes, hundred uh, percent. So, do you want to tell the people kind of what you do, um, who you are, and yeah, just a little bit about yourself? Who's Jermaine? Sure. Uh, my name is uh, Jermaine Murray on Twitter, uh, and on my social media, you can find me under the term Jermaine Jupiter. I am a, uh, I guess I'm full full on. I'm a recruiter. I help people get jobs. I help uh, companies build their dream teams, and I help people. Uh, get new jobs or dream jobs, uh, specific, especially when it's in technology. Right. Um, yeah, I, I do everything in terms of, uh, helping, uh, companies source and find people and hire people and build safe spaces for, uh, for diverse talent with an emphasis on black people. And personally speaking, I, I try to make myself available to people in the black community to help them get their next job, whether that's, you know, giving them advice on their resume, career counseling, um, or even just leveraging my own like personal connections to help them, you know, get a new job. That's amazing. We've never had a we've never had a recruiter on the show. Or this yeah. Oh, Absolutely. first legendary. First. <laughs> and, and Jermaine, on your website, you were mentioning that like you've worked thirty different roles, and like, can you tell us a bit about like what the path to recruiting was like? Yeah, uh, it was a very uh, unconventional, unorthodox way that I got into recruiting. Yeah. So I went. I actually originally went to school when I first went to university. Um, it, I, I said to myself, I wanted to be an actor, but I wanted to play it safe. So instead of acting, I, I went for broadcast journalism. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll get on. I'll get on the radio. You know, mans will hear me on the radio. They're gonna be like, oh, yo, this guy is dope. Then I'll transition to voice acting. Do a couple of do a couple of anime, some video games, and then you know, <laughs> boom, big screen. You know, Canadian Denzel Washington. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and obviously it didn't, it didn't go that way. Um, one, yeah. I wasn't as good as an actor as I thought I was. And then um, when we graduated, uh, when I graduated from the University of Guelph Humber, my friend Akeem and I we secured a show on Sirius XM talking about basketball. Okay. Um, it was a night show and they didn't pay much. So I had to actually double up and, and I worked uh, at a gym selling gym memberships during the day. And then from like 10 AM to 10 PM to 2 AM, I was doing this radio show Monday to Friday. Um, after they canceled the show, I, I had to do like a lot of soul searching. I tried to figure out what it is I wanted to do with my life. And I tried everything. I, I, I worked in a, I worked in a factory. I, I worked in the kitchen. I worked selling cell phones. I was selling clothes. I uh, worked at a, as an enterprise rental car place. Wow. Um, I just picked up a lot of different jobs. And um, my last job before getting in recruiting, 
Um, well, I, I was at Enterprise and then somebody recruited me for a construction job, um, selling construction equipment to companies. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. So uh, I got the job there and um, it was for a company called Vermeer. And my, my job was to sell construction equipment to East Ontario. Um, so as a black man, they had me going out to like Uxbridge and Bowmanville and <laughs> yo, <laughs> I was going to some places where I was getting a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and I was, I didn't, I, you know, it, was, it wasn't the best fit for me. And I ended up actually getting fired from that job. Um, like literally the day before my benefits were supposed to kick in, they were like, yo, we're, 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 we're letting you go. And I was like, uh, saw this coming. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I was happy, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you get fired or when you quit a job, if you don't have a, a, a plan, a backup plan, if you feel like you're like ecstatic as I was, you were in a toxic work environment. Mm-hmm, right. Um, so I, I said to myself, you know, the guy who recruited me for this job, he pretty much sold me on the job and I'm like, I'm a good salesperson. You know, let me see if I could, uh, if I can be a recruiter, why not? Right. And, um, I got my, uh, I got my job at, uh, at a company at a recruitment firm, one of the bigger recruitment firms. Um, and I kind of just started from there. That's really um, interesting, man. I, I, I find that like in, in the industry of like, so I'm in advertising, marketing, it's all kind of uh, in the same, relatively mm. same world. And I find that like the people who are, who can excel in those type of roles, like don't come from a conventional background. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Right. There's programs dedicated to what, you know, I do, but some of the most uh, successful people in my own industry are the people who have sort of bounced around to try and figure it out. Like they don't, they don't come from a conventional background. They didn't study advertising. They studied something else and sort of like fell into that type of role. It's really interesting that you mentioned that. And another thing too, I want to jump back on is uh, the toxic work environment thing. Cause I've been in situations where like I've had terrible jobs, really shitty jobs, but like, it's still a paying, paying job. Right. But uh, you know, when you're laid off or you're, uh, you're fired or you quit, and you have like a weight off your shoulders, it's a totally, it's indicative of, you know, a, a situation where you were happy. Right. Yeah. No, like, um, yo, I always say, I always tell people like your, um, your instincts and your, your gut will never lead you wrong. And a lot of the times, you know, before we get into any situations, not even just work, just life situations, a lot of times, um, are, I read this book called, um, oh geez, what was it called? The Alchemist. I read this book called The Alchemist. And The Alchemist talks about how when you are pursuing your world's purpose, everything starts to align, right? Mm -hmm. That's how you know you're on the right path. And like Mm -hmm. intrinsically, our instincts are tuned to what our purpose is. And when we're not on that path of purpose, the universe reminds us every step of the way that we're not following where we're supposed to be. I'll Mm -hmm. give you guys an example. Um, I've never, I, I, I moved to Montreal last year, last October. And, um, before that I only went, I've only been to Montreal once and that was March of that same year for a weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I have nobody out here, right. Uh, I've never seen myself living outside of the GTA, and 
I was in this place. Um, so last year I was working for, I, I moved from uh, the recruitment firm that I was, I got, I got started in to a smaller one that offered me more control. Right. But it was a very, very toxic work environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I got, I got that same job the same day as the Raptors parade. So the first day was a write-off, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, about two days before the Raptors parade, my grandmother died. And they just, the family decided that, you know what, Jermaine, you love to chat. So we're going to make you do the eulogy. So I was like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I start, I started this new job and I tell them, um, like the day of the Raptors parade, I'm like, Hey guys, I got to tell you uh, up front, grandmother died. The funeral is this Friday. So I'm missing my first Friday uh, off my first week. They're like, cool. No problem. Um, Thursday, the owner of the company pulls me into a room, a white guy from Burlington. Um, and he's like, you know, I've heard you on the phones and I don't like the way you talk. I don't like the way you sound I don't like the sound of your voice. You know, I, I want you to talk more like this white girl that sits beside you. And what? Wow, man. I love how everybody has the same reaction to that. Yeah. <laughs> no other reaction. There's no other reaction. Who did the, what was that Dak? That was me. <laughs> So like, I'm like, I, you know, this, this dude's turning like beat red in front of me. We're, we're in a, we're in a room alone. And I'm just like, like, wh- whose man's is this? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I, right. so, um, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this thing where I, um, I don't want to do this thing where I, 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 I blame somebody else for something not working. Maybe, maybe I should take a moment and hear what he's saying and try to, to make these changes. Um, so I did, I, I wrote, I wrote a lesson plan for myself. I wrote out daily objectives and I was trying everything, including coming in, being the first one there and the last one to leave. Um, and I was hitting and achieving like the goals they set out for me and he still wasn't happy. Uh, so I said to myself, I, uh, was two months in and I'm on the, tr- I'm on the go train crying because I feel like I'm fucking up and that's not the case. I was like, I, I took stands. I'm like, that's not the case. So mm-hmm. I put myself back on the open market and I got, I started getting bare attention from, from, from different companies. And I was like, all right, uh, let me see what's going on. Uh, and I wasn't actually happy with some of the offers I was presented. So I was like, let me step outside my comfort zone and let me see what, what Montreal is saying. I have a UK passport. So I was like, let me see what London is saying, what New York is wow. saying, what Vancouver is saying. And I was like, you know, just, just so I can just go into these, these meetings in Toronto with these offers and be like, y'all need to pay me my money. Yeah. Um, but the offers, the offers I started getting were really good and I started checking them out. And the one in Montreal, uh, I currently work for a company called tandem launch. They're incubator in Montreal. They build startups. And I said to myself, I'm going to take the risk and move out here. And this is how I loop it back to the alchemist where the, the universe makes everything, um, work out for you. Uh, I said, all right, I'm, instead of signing a one-year lease, I'm going to sign a, a three month sublet. Mm-hmm. And um, see how things go after my probation period is up. I grab the sublet, I go there. And then the, the guy, it's a, it's a really nice place. The, the guy who had it before me, like really decked it out. And he calls me and he's like, yo, I just got traded to uh, Calgary and I have to move. If you sign the one year lease there, you can have all the furniture in the, in the, in the, in the apartment. Wow. I was like, I was like, okay, let me see how these three months go. These three <laughs> months flew by. And I was like, say less. I signed the, I signed the extension and like, I had this ready-made apartment for me. And it's just like, 
um, things just kept getting easier and easier in terms of like my purpose and like the opportunities uh, afforded me. Like uh, I was able to get some new, new, new connections out here. I was able to uh, strengthen my, myself as a recruiter and as a person. And it just seemed like everything I was doing was, was, was really like, was connecting. It was, it was like, I had the Midas touch. And mm-hmm. I just realized like, it's just because I'm more attuned with my purpose. It's like, I'm pursuing what I'm supposed to be doing. So the universe wants me to win. That's, I mean, that's an amazing, amazing story. man. Like it's, it's funny because like you're, when you're talking about the situation where you're on the go train, you know, you're upset and you're like, what's going on, you know? And then, you know, when you, you ride out those like tough times, um, especially with like a boss who like, you know, was probably racist, uh, you know, and definitely like had some sort of aggression towards you. It's nice that to hear that like things, you know, when you ride out the tough times, you know, things just get better and better and better. I love that the analogy of like, you know, the universe just sort of works itself out. It's uh it's an amazing story. Yeah, man. Um and just fun fun fact, that same boss, um, I, I left that company in uh August. Right. I didn't even leave. I, I got the offer. I got a couple of different offers and um, they knew I was interviewing. So he called me and he he was like, hey, man, he's like, you know what? It's not working out. Got to fire you. And I was oh like, my God. I was like, I say less, man. You know what? Sometimes these things just don't work out. Have a great yeah. one. Right. Yeah. And I hung up on him. And there was a there was a few employees I was friends with there. And they're like, yo, what did you say to him? Because when you hung up. When, when he got off the phone, he turned very red and he had to walk out the room and oh the, the co-owner had to walk out, like run after him. And he's like, this guy's been like, this guy's been just, just on your ass. Like he hates you. I put up a video doing a promo of my services where I talk about like being a, a different type of recruiter. This guy yeah. put, uh, buys a projector to project it on the office uh, wall to like have everybody try to roast me and make fun of it. Um, Man, what is going on? Yo, at the Christmas party, Christmas party, let let me, again, I started my new job in October. I left these guys August, September at the Christmas party, Christmas party. They Mm -hmm. said that this guy went on a drunken rant about me and called me uppity. Um, So... Best decision leaving that place, man. That sounds like toxic front to back. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> that place sent me to Montreal, fam. <laughs> yeah. So, sometimes the universe, sometimes when the universe wants you to be on a certain path, it will force you to be on that path. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm gone. No, I and uh, here I am. Man. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so, so it's funny because we were um, like, I'd love to, to, to get into, you know, some of the topics related to, to recruitment because mm-hmm. me and you were talking about getting you on the podcast and I was asking you, you know, what would you, what would you kind of like want to talk about mainly? And, and one thing you brought up that I'd love to jump into a discussion. Um, why is it hard for black people to get good paying jobs? And I'd love for you to just to kick that off and jump into that. Racism. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> oh no, no, no! And like, I, I know, I know, I, I know. It's kind, of, I'm kind of laughing it, but um, there was this. Um, so when I was, I was compiling uh, one of the projects I was working on was launching an online radio station, 
and for to, to tell black stories. I wanted it to kind of be like flow 93.5 meets podcasting for Netflix. And I had to okay. do this, this demographic study uh, in Toronto to find out what my demographic would be. And I said, my demographic would be everybody black. And um, it led me to this report from Ryerson that talked about equity and diversity and like um, and bias. And in this report, it said that uh, human beings, especially ones conditioned by Western society, have this implicit bias against black people where it is harder for them to see black people in higher paying jobs. Um, right. It's easier for them to associate lower paying jobs with black people. If a, if a man in a suit were to come up to you and, and he was from Nigeria, and if he were to say to you, hey, I'm a doctor, and you know, you would have a hard time believing that. But if he were to say to you in that very same suit, hey, I'm a janitor, um, you'd be conditioned to, 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 to actually believe him. Mm-hmm. And this actually represents itself in hiring. So within technology, um, the, this is, and these are based on this report that was published in 2016. So these numbers might be a bit outdated, but from what I'm seeing, they're still pretty consistent. Um, in technology, the average salary for a white person is around 73000 In technology, the average salary for a person of color is 71000 right? Mm-hmm. But when you break down the actual by race, um, black people represent uh, about 3% of the tech workforce in Canada. And uh, these numbers are, are a bit iffy because uh, the, the government actually doesn't do racial data collection. So this is more of a survey that was extrapolated. But um, in the States, they, they, they do do this racial tracking and blacks rep- black people, oh my God. black people represent uh 10 of the tech industry and we're about a third of the u.s population so i figure it's pretty correct if it's to say like black people in canada represent three percent of the tech industry here um black people on average our average salary in tech is sixty five thousand dollars if you compare that to what the what I just said for people of color being at 71, yeah. there's a huge disparity. You yeah. might think that, okay, maybe it's because we're so lowly, low, we're, like our representation numbers are so low. Um, this, this, uh, this report actually compared it to people uh, in Canada of a Japanese uh, background, which represents 0.8% of the industry. Mm-hmm. The average salary for them was uh, like in the mid-80s. Like, wow. So, um, you know, and then you, you add in like all the, the systemic conditioning that goes into it, um, where, you know, we're all black men here. And I know that growing up, your parents or somebody that loved you said to you that in order for you to get what's fair, you have to overperform and be twice as good yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's how it kind of happens in the hiring sense. So it's like, if I'm going to go hire, if I'm a, if I'm just a, a regular hiring manager, I'm not a black guy. I'm not aware of this. Am I going to, I'm going to go hire a software manager and I have three applicants in front of me in order for like uh, a black person to really have a fair shake. Homeboy is going to have to come in with like 10 years of managerial experience, a PhD yeah. from Harvard and like his own application that went platinum on the Google store. Like that's, that's, <laughs> You know, and the person beside him could be a white person that's just like self-taught. Yeah, no, that's that's 
it's bullshit really like it's like those are the types of barriers that you know prevent a lot of people from like getting into jobs that they want to be doing mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting to hear your experience uh you know you you told me that you know you're a recruiter but like you you have a little bit more of like a lens of like hiring like black people or at least like being involved in your network with a, a lens and a focus on black people so how does that translate into your like day-to-day job uh honestly i'm very blessed i'm very blessed um you know i always like i think one of the questions that you you sent you sent me or one of the topics you said to be to be just uh prepared to talk about was kind of finding like some sort of synergy or like consistency between like your job and like your life Mm -hmm. um i I like to think like the uh i have a lot of overlap between what i'm passionate about and what like I, i do as a day job so my current role, I, I actually, since we're building startups, I actually have to go and recruit people um, that would be co-founders for these startups. And oh, wow. uh, yeah, and then, and then once these startups start building and they start hiring, I help them with recruitment on top of that. Um, I have this goal of trying to get uh, many, as many black people as possible in tech, new jobs in tech, or at least if they're not getting a new job in tech, they're getting like a, a new promotion or something in tech. Um, last year I helped 67 black people find new jobs or get new situations in tech, something I'm really proud of. Um, year to date for 2020, I'm at 51. And uh, the reason why I I did this is like, um, one of the, one of the first people I, I, I got a job for in tech, um, was this, uh, this gentleman that was, um, was a Russian background and he was contracting for the last couple of years just got married, had a, had a kid and he needed something that offered the stability of a nine to five, but didn't really impact his income as much when you're contracting, you don't, you don't pay for benefits. They don't pay you benefits. Um, and what that enables you to do is that you can actually charge uh, an hourly rate that is significantly more than what they would pay you if you were like a full-time employee, but Mm -hmm. he has a kid now. So he's like, I need the benefits. I need the stability. You know, I can't be looking for a new job every three, four months because my contract's over. Um, so we ended up getting him. He said he was charging people 60 to $65 an hour, which is about 120, 125,000 a year. Um, and, you know, that's without benefits. We ended up getting him a job for $130,000 full benefits. And he had complete control over his schedule. So he was actually able to like, he's like, wow. I, I can actually walk my son to daycare go home, work remotely, or choose to go into the office. When he signed that deal, I, I shit you not, homeboy skipped, skipped out the office. Like, <laughs> I thought his, um, I thought his head was going to hit the door on his way out because of how high he was skipping. Yeah, that's amazing. And I had one thought, though. I wish he was black. That was the thought that came across my head. Mm. Yeah. But like, from your perspective, like that must be a very like gratifying experience though. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're in the job of, or in the field of like helping people, right? Yeah. And like helping people find work. So when you can lock in and like secure a, a position for someone in a way that allows them to be able to do the things that they want in their regular life, that must be a gratifying feeling. Like take us through that. It, it is honestly, um, I, as somebody that can actually like relate to a lot of that, um, just relate to having a challenging job search or just relate to like working a job that you hate. 
it's it does something for me. It, it, I'm kind of addicted to the feeling uh, of helping somebody because you as a recruiter, right? I think, and I think a lot of my peers don't really realize this, but as a recruiter, we have a huge responsibility to the people that we work with, you know, by connecting you with a job, I'm directly impacting your entire life. Right. Um, if I don't do my job properly and I put somebody in a situation like the one I was in, where the guy's telling me like, I don't like your voice and and whatnot, I am indirectly responsible for any uh, damage to that person's mental health. And anything that f- comes from there, you know, if they take it out on their family, you know, if, if they're just unhappy, that that's, that's my responsibility. So when I, when I do my job properly and I help people and like, you see, I like you, you can actually see and hear the, the changes that's going to happen in their life. They might not actually detail it to you. Like they might not tell you like, because I got this job now, I'm going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, but yo, you can feel it in their energy. You can feel it in the way they talk. And if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm privileged enough to be in front of them, when they, when they get that news, the, um, shit, like I'm getting like teary eyed right now thinking about it. Like, <laughs> um, like it's such a beautiful moment, man. Like such a beautiful moment being able to, 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 to empower somebody like that. Um, and then when it's somebody that's from the black community on top of that, it's like, you know, it's like, wow, like, I, like, damn, like, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's better. just, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's just gold. It's just, you just feel golden all over. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to take a minute to, uh, to have you kind of describe a bit what that actual recruitment process is, because I feel like there's a few misconceptions as to like working with a recruiter. When I was, when I was younger, um, graduating from Humber, trying to get an internship in advertising, I just had a really, really bad experience with a recruiter that was really aggressive, trying to push me towards a certain job, even when I felt like I found a better one. And just, you know, like that whole interaction was the first time I was working with a recruiter and it just left like a bad taste in my mouth. And one thing that I was often hearing from people in the industry, and I know now it's a, it's a myth, is that recruiters take a portion of your salary when they help you get that job. Oh, that's so not are you able to, it's, Is that a myth or is that not? I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll explain. Um, it's, it's yeah. a myth and it's not a myth. So okay. there are two types of recruiters. There are recruiters that work for agencies like your Randstads, your Robert Halfs, your uh, mm-hmm. Manpower. And there are recruiters are, are they're more akin to being known as talent acquisition managers or talent acquisition specialists that work on behalf of a company. Um, okay. Now, a recruiter that's working in an agency um, if you if that were working at an agency, they actually get a cut based off of the fee that they charge the, the based off of the fee that they charge your clients for finding you. Now it gets a bit even, even, uh, there's even more streams, but pretty much within those agencies, you're either falling into full-time as a recruiter or you're falling into contract. So Ooh. if you're full-time, the recruitment agency doesn't take anything and they're not supposed to, and they shouldn't, they shouldn't take anything off of your salary because for, they actually charge a fee based off of a percentage of your salary to the company that hires you. So when I was working at my, at, at the firms, it was, Hey, Jermaine, we're looking for a job developer. I, what's your budget for it? A hundred thousand. Okay. I'm gonna charge you 20% to do this search. If you hire this person at a hundred thousand, 20% of that salary, you have to pay to me. So in their oh. first year, they would be paying $120,000 for that person that they hired. 
Um, and as a recruiter, if I'm working for an agency, I have to split that fee with the agency, right? So um, when you were getting pushed for that recruitment job, it's because that person believed that you could have gotten hired and they could have charged a fee. Mm-hmm. Now, the contract side of it is you are working um, – you aren't working for the company directly. The company is engaged with the, um, with the agency itself, and you are an employee of the agency. So the agency will tell you, hey, um, I have this job. It pays $25 an hour. Do you want it? And you'll be like, yeah, sure. And then the agency will go to the to the 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 the, the uh, company that, that's looking for the contractor and be like, "Hey, I got this contractor that's doing everything that you want. You know, you can get him for forty dollars an hour, right? They're pocketing the difference, but you're still getting your money. Um, oh. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So you still get your twenty five dollars, but they're they're pocketing the the fifteen dollar difference per yeah. hour. And that's that's just the game. Uh, it used to be before the it used to be for like temp agencies that um, the company would hire you directly, but you and the agency would have an agreement that they take a percentage of your fee for hooking up with the job. But the market has changed where those, those type, that type of setup isn't, isn't as fruitful as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's crazy knowing the ins and outs of this. So next time I'm looking for a job or you know, whenever that is, I got to keep this stuff in mind, man. <laughs> or I got to yeah. come to you. <laughs> yeah, man. Like a, 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 a recruit, like I said, a recruiter from an agency is, try, is, 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 is motivated by like uh, his commission and hitting certain numbers. They treat it like a sales job. The internal yeah. recruiters, the talent acquisition team, they treat it like an HR job. So they're looking more for fit, right? Um, they, they, might get, they might get a bonus or a commission, but it's not going to be based off of per hire. It'll be on like an annual review thing. Mm-hmm. And usually retention numbers go into, into play there, right? Like, um, so the, the motivations are different. It's, it's more like, I got to make sure that you're a good fit, that you can, you can last long-term for this environment, that it's good for you, that it's good for them. Um, and they might, they might operate a bit slower uh, than your agencies. Uh, but the, there are pros and cons of both. Like an agency recruiter is good to have a connection with because they, they juggle different portfolios different companies right so that's different opportunities different hiring managers whereas um a ta- like a own working talent acquisition they their difference in portfolio is just within the scope of that company itself hmm. right it's also kind of funny because like in in among our circle like me malik and a few of our other friends are in account management we always kind of joke about the same recruiters that are on linkedin always just kind of messaging us and trying to poach us to, to different agencies. We all just like know the classic ones, you know, and it's like, Oh, they're sending me a message again. Yeah, well, you get this one too. Like, hey. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just share it with everyone. You no longer feel special because everyone's getting the same copy paste, you know, message on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. Is, LinkedIn, LinkedIn makes it easy because they offer us templates. Um, oh, okay. You know, but uh, one, one of the things that I, that I really took, I really took uh, seriously when I was, when I, when I said to myself, recruiting is for me, this is what I want to do is that mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to distinguish myself. And, um, I actually, my, one of my first networking events was uh, tech TO and nice. yeah, they have this, they have this setup before COVID, um, where they would, uh, do a community mic session and they pass, they have an open mic and they pass the mic around and, you know, you be, you tell, talk about yourself, what brings you to tech TO. 
So, you know, yeah. it's all good energy, right? And uh, I get the mic and I'm like, hi, my name is Jermaine. I'm a recruiter. And like, you got, do you guys, any of you watch anime by any chance? Yeah. So like, you know, you know, like in Dragon Ball Z, where like a new strong force comes in and like everybody gets that like lightning bolt and they're like, yo, what's that? What's that presence? I sense something. I shit you not. When I went, I'm a recruiter. I felt killing intent. I felt hate. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I didn't belong here. And like, there was a lot of animosity in the air towards me. And I was just like, yo, walk on. So, um, I I started talking to people and it's like, you know, um, I, I was actually appalled at how common that situation is where somebody's getting pushed into a job that might not be the best fit for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, I realized a lot of the recruitment, a lot of recruiters treat it very like, like a transaction, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So what I set out to do, and this actually got me in trouble with a couple of my firms, is that I set out to actually have friendships and relationships with the people that I was recruiting with. So like my thing is, and this kind of played into like the whole, I'm trying to get as many black people in the door as possible. My yeah. thing was, I, I always told a candidate, like, listen, um, if I, if I'm messaging you on LinkedIn, for instance, I'm not, I'm not saying like, I ha- I'm not saying, I try to avoid using the word I. I try to, I try to stop talking about me. I'm trying to talk about you. I'm like, Hey, um, you know, my name is, my name is Jermaine recruiter. Want to just talk to you about your goals, see what's up. Um, and if there's anything I can do to help you with your job search. Right. And I get a lot more responses to that type of message than like, yo, I got X, Y, and Z. Do you want it? Mm. Right. Cause if someone's like, okay, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. And I'll be like, I bet. And like, I'll be honest with them. Like, you know, I found you because I, I have, I have this job going on. And I wanted to see if, if it'd be something you'd be interested in. I don't think you'd be interested in this. It's based on our conversation, but like, yo, what is your dream job, man? Like if, if I get it, if I get an off like that, can I pass it your way? And it's mm-hmm. like, people appreciate that type of approach or I'll even tell my candidates like, yo, if you have a, if you have like a job through another agency and you want to do interview prep, do not be afraid to reach out to me. I will prep you for an interview, even if it's not my job. Oh, wow. Yeah. My agencies hated that. They, um, they, they, they spot, I got into a lot of trouble for that and I didn't stop. Um, yeah. and like, again, you, you should be asking yourself, why would you get in trouble for something like that? And yeah. it's because of this thing called candidate ownership. Again, like a lot of these recruiters and I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to dirty Mac, but like a lot of, a lot of people experience with recruiters that, um, feel like that put their needs before the, the, the candidates needs, yeah. you know? And like I said, we have, as recruiters, we have a responsibility to make sure we're putting people in the best position to succeed. Otherwise we can, part of my French, fuck their whole life up. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely true, man. Like that, that type of relationship is important. And like to, to that point, it's like, you know, people, I think a lot of people probably look at it as like uh like what's in it for me kind of thing. And I think as a recruiter, you really have to be looking out for not even just you, but you know, the, the candidate that you're hiring. It's, it's extremely important. It's crazy to, it's crazy to hear that. And, and it'll getting... come off that way too. Cause I think definitely Jermaine has this genuine approach versus other recruiters that I've worked with. I can tell when it's just like, you've spanned messages, you span messages to a bunch of other people and you don't actually care about who gets it. You just care that somebody gets it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that yeah. comes off. That's clear. Yeah. Um, 
and I'll just to give you guys some more insight, recruitment agencies that charge like the, the like executive search places, they have a clause. They usually have a clause in their contract where their where their clients have to pay them within two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll offer a ninety day guarantee, but they want to get their money up front, and you have to ask yourself why is that? Um, because you know if the oh, right. You know what I'm saying? Because usually, and usually these uh, these guarantees are proactive. So, like, if you uh, if you hire somebody from a, from one of these firms, and this person loses the job two months in, that company is either that company has an option. They can either a have me do the search again for free, or they can ask for a refund. But because it's prorated, they're only entitled to like a third of the money they've paid me. Mm. So they're kind of caught in a rock and a hard place. Like, what do you do? Do you, do you, do you, do you just take the L or do you try to make it work again? And like, um, you as candidates, you're not aware of that, but like, that's, that's the whole, that's, that's actually how some, some, uh, some people I know, or some people in this industry that I know think, you know, like if I can just get this person to stay on for three months and whatever happens after that, I don't business. Cause I already got, I got paid. Yeah. You're done with them at that point. I'm done with them at that point. Um, I, when I got fired from Vermeer, um, I actually, I remember I called that recruiter and he's like, yo, I, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss right now. I don't know what to do. It just happened. And he, this, 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 this dude hung up on me. This dude hung up on me. Um, didn't return any of my voicemails. And um, yeah, that was it. Never heard from him again. And that is, I, that is an experience that I know a lot of people have gone through. I've, I've had to, I've talked to a lot of people about it, about how to deal with that. And like, I tell them not to take it personally um, because recruitment agencies are a dime a dozen, you know, um, and that person, you know, you never, you never, you never know. You never know when you're going to see that person again. Um, so be, be, you know, if you, if you're, if you're petty, like I am, like what I just did, um, call them out on it. You got to do it. Over here it it's like you know it, you have to i i back that 100 percent. yeah you know, for sure um what was it i have this i was watching this show called boardwalk empire and um one of these characters somebody said to him you know it's, it's not personal it's business and he's like of course it's personal it's business yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was like i was like yo like honestly i, I know people say like yo, business is business but like uh, look at Jay-Z and Dame Dash with the whole Rockefeller deal. Like they just started talking to each other again. Right. Even though it was a good business move, like people take that personally mm-hmm. much more so than the, the personal stuff, because like business usually comes with like some sort of monetary gain or loss. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I do. Um, I do want to switch gears here a little bit because I want to make sure we, we cover, we cover this topic. Um, Something we've been discussing with a few of our guests for the last, you know, few weeks is is talking about obviously the current events of brands and agencies really starting to accommodate for the POC experience now. You know, like newly formed DE and I teams, often led by you know black people or, or by POCs, um, and brands replacing roles um, with black people and POC talent. So it's definitely you know we're looking at it. Is it a trend? Is it going to be? you know, a full change? Are they genuine? Is it authentic? So speaking to somebody that's, you know, a career strategist and in recruitment and in HR, can you speak to what you think that long-term change can look like 
like how brands can show that they aren't part of just this trend when it comes to hiring a, a quick black person here or there or, or stuff like that. Can you speak on that a bit? Yeah. Um, I actually have a challenge for a lot of brands. If you're, if you're really serious and you're not, you're not trying to be performative, mm-hmm. you have to look at the, um, you have to look at the actual uh, problem holistically. You have to look at everything there. Right. And I, I had a consultation call with a company the other day. And I said, if you're really serious about being more than just being performative, you have to provide resources where your black employees are going to be able to benefit from, um, for the development of their careers, even if that means arming them to have a career outside of you. Mm-hmm. You have to realize okay. uh, a marginalized and a disenfranchised community, like, like the black community, for instance, um, we don't have a lot of like the infrastructure in place for our, our careers to like to traject the same way that other communities do. Right. We're not in the, we're not in the seats of hiring managers as much as we should be. We're not in the seats of owners. So it's not like we're able to, um, like really just have a clearly defined path on how to get to the next stage in our career. A lot of companies, um, are, will hire black people at like middle management or on the entry level and pat themselves on the back and say that they did a good job. But what are they doing in order to empower the, that middle management to become senior manager or become actual true leaders, right? Mm-hmm. What are they doing in order to help them level up in their career? And the reason why I say they have to look at it as preparing them for careers outside of their ecosystem is because Senior leadership and leadership positions in general don't just pop up out of nowhere, right? They're, they're, right. they're limited. They're usually grandfathered in. So if you're preparing somebody for a true leadership role, um, there is a chance that they, it might not be with you because you might not have the space or the bandwidth to bring them on as a leader. But if you're really serious about attacking this problem, you're still going to have the, the infrastructure in place to help develop them. And, I would honestly, uh, and this is where the real challenge comes in because, uh, again, a lot of organizations are driven by, of course, profits, and uh, it's very expensive to replace a high-caliber person. But if you're really serious about this problem, what are you doing to help to help uh, to help the careers of the people that you say that you're you're serious about? I think it's a really good point, and it's funny because like. From like a hiring standpoint, you know, it's a bit tricky because, you know, I've had a lot of discussion with the people that I work with on how, like, how can we hire more black people? Like, how do we do that? And it's like, okay, well, what does the pipeline look like for you? How do we get more black people into that pipeline? Because right now the current pool is only like, it's incestuous in my industry, at least like, it's very like, this person worked at this agency. Okay. Now they're coming over here and this person right. worked here. We'll pull them from that there and bring them over here kind of situation. So it's like in your eyes, how do you deal with like that challenge of like, um, maybe a limited talent pool, um, uh, and, you know, addressing this issue of a pipeline. So the problem I, from my experience and from my, in my opinion, the problem starts at two different levels. First, um, we need more black people in senior leadership in the founder space, CEO, executive, C-suite space. Um, and the second is we need more we need more black people represented in the gatekeepers, so your recruiters and your talent acquisition teams. Um, because the pipeline problem is interesting. Um, usually speaking, when 
the in-mails stopped being responded to, when the job board applicants dried up, and when the networking events aren't really producing anything as a recruiter, what do you have left in order to fall back on? Mm. Your personal network. And your personal network mm. is usually built, made up of people that look like you. Yeah. yeah I, it, when I, um, let's see, right. Like my, my like just, just flat out there. My company is a very diverse company. Um, we rep- represent by 43 different co- uh, com- uh, countries in our, in our building alone. Right. Um, I am on a very diverse talent team and I'm the only black recruiter there. When I was working in Toronto, there were only a handful of black recruiters in the space. And even less when you start, when you go down into like tech, we're not there. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not tapping into our networks. Uh, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, our, our networks aren't being represented. Um, and the other thing is that co- uh, companies should be looking out for community led organizations built around this very subject matter. There are a lot of orgs um, in Toronto alone that are focused around empowering black people throughout their professional careers. If you're in tech, it's BPTN. If you're in finance, it's Cough P. Um, if you're in marketing, well, there's a few initiatives I know that I can't speak on, but like, there are organizations that are dedicated to this. So if you're really serious about this, your pipeline problem, you should be partnering with them. And it shouldn't just be one. It should be as many as you can find. Um, and that would be like that. That's the first way to develop your, your, your pipeline problem. The other way is to also say to yourself, like, we need to have an internal development track so that we can bring in junior talent and help them skill up and ramp mm-hmm. up. So that they can go into our, they can just go directly where we need them. And that's a bit, that's a bit of a long-term vision and that's long-term investment. And some companies, like I said, if you're really serious about the problem, you gotta, you gotta put your money where your mouth is. You gotta, you gotta invest in the development of these, of this, uh, this workforce. And what are some ways that, so like me, let's, let's say I'm going for, you know, a senior, a senior role or a role as an exec, how can I, how can I tell which is the right place to like kind of cultivate myself within this company as a black person? I would say write down five questions, five relevant questions that make you, mm-hmm. that make you feel awkward, that make, that make you feel tense, that you know is going to make them feel awkward and ask those questions and see how they react. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's like, I tell people all the time when it comes to startups, you know, if you're interviewing for a startup, it's an early stage startup. Ask them how much money they have. Ask them how much money they presently have in the bank. Ask them what would happen if you didn't get a single a single customer for the next six months. Am I out of a job? Ask them uncomfortable questions like that. Now that we're talking about race and things of that nature, ask them how how they're supporting their black employees. Ask them if they're making uh, black employee resource groups and if they're giving extra pay to the people that are leading these initiatives. Ask them those type of questions. Ask them tough questions and see how they react. Because if they're sincere, they'll give you a sincere answer. Whether it's you know, honestly, this whole thing has opened our eyes and we're putting things together. We don't know what to do, or like see if they bullshit you and then see what your gut says. Your gut will always, always lead you in the right direction. That's a perfect, perfect tie-in from the beginning of the episode. Yeah, right. It's a good, it's a good tie-in. I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all it's all one cycle, man, and every everything's connected. And um, yeah, we had to had to loop it back around. But 
Um, honestly, the hiring process, the job search process, it's all very, it's all, it's all subjective. Everything is subjective. You have to realize um, that generally speaking, when you're applying for a job and you're interviewing, you know, you could be, let's say for, for argument's sake, you're 30, you're, you're 30 years old, you know, um, a hiring manager has to rely on a couple hours to determine who you've been your whole life. So there's a lot of guesswork in there. There's a lot of uh, gut feeling, like, how did you make me feel? Did you make me feel like you could be competent, that you'd be worth investing in, right? Um, yeah. And like, once you know about that, like that subjectivity, you realize that you just have to go about just making people feel confident in who you are and what you bring to the table. And sometimes that means asking tough questions. That sometimes that means um, asking for a salary amount that's higher than you're comfortable with and being surprised when they give it to you. And sometimes that means opening the door for other people where you can. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, like before we wrap things up, I think there's a lot of our, our listeners that could benefit from, you know, um, even talking to you. So do you want to kind of plug your, your website, plug where people can find you, how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, you can, uh, you can find me at my website, jupiterhr.ca, or you can uh, hit me up on Twitter at Jermaine Jupiter. Um, all one word, um, or on LinkedIn at Jermaine L. Murray. Uh, one of the great things that I'm very proud of is that I like to drop gems on my feed. Um, you can either reach out to me directly through those means and, and my calendar is accessible as well It's open calendar uh, links are all, all there. Um, or you can just follow me and like, I, I try my best to drop as many gems as possible. Um, I had the pleasure of somebody DMing me yesterday saying like, one of the one of the one of the, the uh, tips that I dropped about resumes and interview questions help them secure a new job. And um, somebody I had a call with somebody, and then she was going to ask for a, a, an amount that I said was too low. I told her to be audacious, and she asked for that 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 awkward amount that made her nervous. And she said she almost uh, she almost like spit her drink out when they gave it to her with no questions asked. So. <laughs> Um, please, if you if you're trying to level up in your career, if you are trying to um, just navigate uh, a tricky situation at work, and you just want some insight on what your options could be, um, whether it's go to HR or whether it's like start looking for a new job, whatever it may be, uh, feel free to hit me up. I'm always available, and uh, you guys have a great platform here. Honestly, thank you for having me on, and I I want you guys to continue doing the great work. We need more. We need more of this. Period. Yeah, man. I, I, we really appreciate your perspective on the show as well. And it sounds like, you know, you're taking a really like um, holistic approach to your job. And, you know, I think a lot of people and especially, uh, you know, we'll plug the, the website and your, your contact info. But like, I know a lot of people who could benefit from even just speaking to you. So, you know, hopefully this will act as a catalyst for, for those types of conversations. But again, like really, really appreciate you jumping on the show. This is awesome. No, thank you, man. Thank you. If they, if they mention that they're from the podcast, uh, I'll give them special treatment as well, eh? Just, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drop the promo code. Yeah. The Mad Mix. <laughs> Get 80% off. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we, we can do 50. I can do yeah. 50 for you guys. <laughs> All uh, right, man. Jermaine, thanks awesome. again. Jermaine. Really. No worries, guys. Take care. And um, yeah, looking forward to it. And, and, and stay up. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. That's episode 14. Thanks, guys.